Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Today's guest is my friend, Sydney. She's actually my wife's best friend, and I've known her for about the same amount of time. They grew up together in Vermont, but now she's moved to Chicago, where she lives there with her family. You've probably seen her work. She's produced some TV commercials, including some that have even played during the Super Bowl. So our conversation today is pretty much a meandering conversation. Not too surprisingly, we both are big film fans. As different as our upbringings were, we have a similar uh, entry point to our love of film. So the conversation kind of meanders around a lot. We don't really get around to a lot of the recommendations right away. But I do think it's a very interesting conversation. I really did enjoy it. And we'll probably be doing many more. Perhaps we may uh, do a deeper dive revisiting uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. Once again, we are now available on Apple Podcasts. And if you do find this there, please give us a review or give us a five-star rating. It's really appreciated. I would really appreciate it. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at needs some introduction. That's with two S's, N-E-E-D-S-S-O-M-E, introduction, at gmail.com, needs some introduction at gmail.com. That email address will also be in our show notes. So take a look there if you want to reach out to us. Uh, I would love to hear back from anybody who's listening and uh, just discovering the show. And uh, feel free to send us a voice memo. You can either send us a voice memo from our Anchor homepage. You can just click the link. You can only record for one minute. However, if you'd like to leave us a slightly longer message uh, on your uh, iPhone or on your Android phone, go into your voice memos, record something, maybe under two minutes, let's say, and then email it to us. Once again, need some introduction at gmail.com. And we may use your feedback there. Uh, I'd love to have a compilation uh, episode where I can take your requests or your comments or any uh, uh, show topics or feedback on the show, and maybe we'd make that into a whole episode. So I'd really love to hear from everybody. My recommendation to Sydney, she was looking for something that was both a soundtrack and movie that she would appreciate. And my recommendation to her was Scott Pilgrim, which I don't think was a great suggestion. And you'll see when we discuss it, that it may not have really been the type of thing she normally goes for. Uh, but it does lead to a lot of interesting conversations. So maybe my worst suggestion so far, <laughs> to be honest, but, um, but a very successful episode nonetheless. So hope you enjoy it. Let's get on with the show. Okay, so your challenge to me was to find a movie and soundtrack that you could listen to and watch and appreciate both. The first question I have for you, my interest in music actually came via my interest in movies because I would go to see movies and then I would like the music in the movies and then I would buy the soundtrack and then that would introduce me to all these different artists, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and you mentioned uh, that you had um, a similar experience, right? And yeah. uh, so I'd like to hear more about that. But I also am very interested in you specifically telling me about Pump Up the Volume because I have a Pump Up the Volume story also. So so okay. generally, generally, and then specifically, yeah. Okay, so generally, let's see. Generally, um, yeah, my I started out, um, you know, with as a lover of television um, and movies and probably didn't dawn on me until later on that a lot of the stuff I liked 
wasn't necessarily because the movie or the television show was like quality or, um, you know, something that's super spectacular, but because of the songs they chose to use at certain moments, really, that really affected me and stayed with me. So I used to daydream a lot about, you know, movies and screenplays that I would write or, you know, star in someday. And they always were set in my mind to a certain song, um, not necessarily any dialogue going on or anything happening really. It was just more like a montage sequence with a certain song. And so I did a lot of daydreaming as a kid. Um, my parents got divorced when I was young, about 10 years old. So I did a lot of like escapism through different mediums, but mostly, you know, a lot of daydreaming out the window, journaling, writing down all my ideas to, uh, on movies that I was going to at one point either have somebody cast me in, you know, when I was a famous actress or um, when uh, I was able to write my own screenplays. And I spent a lot of time putting together soundtracks of my own based on all the different moments that I had seen that really like stirred something up inside me. I think as early as like, I don't know, maybe nine or so, you know, Kim, my best friend, your wife, and I watched Footloose probably, I, I, I don't know, thousands of times, you know. Um, and there's certain scenes in that movie that if you didn't have the perfect song, it might come off as cheesy or silly or, you know, it, it, you wouldn't take it seriously. But because the the songs and the song and conversely the songs themselves you might not choose to listen to those or they might not have been something we would be into if they weren't uh paired with this perfect magical movie moment you know um and done really well so um that was an early on one that kind of sparked wow like this the soundtrack stayed with me and then i play would play the movie out in my brain um, over and over and then I would reenact it you know we would sometimes there was plenty of films I could go on and on about all the movies we used to reenact you know um, and they always had a soundtrack that went along with it that kind of sparked that in me and like you said uh, for yourself I would say I'm actually not that into music like you're very into music I'm actually not in music I'm actually into soundtracks or mixtapes uh, that people have made me and basically I've gotten into a lot of bands, probably every band that I've ever gotten into and bought, actually bought the album was because I liked a song in a movie and it moved me in some way or stayed with me. And so then I would research the band and then I would buy all of their music. And then I would listen to whatever band that was on repeat for months. And then I would <laughs> move on, you know? So that's kind of my process. <laughs> <laughs> I have almost an identical like uh, analogy. I was older. I was like probably in my early teens. We grew up in Newark and we like never went to the movies. My parents were immigrants and they uh, scrimped and saved and that, that, you know, everything was wasteful as far as they were concerned. And then I moved to the suburbs. My uh, neighbors, uh, mostly not just my friends, but their older brothers were like introducing me to music and into some movies. And then I just started going to the mall. There was a movie theater that I could walk to. I just started going with my own money to, to watch movies. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, what is this? I was basically moved by movies. So I was older, but other than the age, it's exactly what you're describing. I would buy the soundtrack because I liked the movie. I would realize that the music was actually what I was reacting to because I would hear the music and then have an emotional reaction. I'm like, oh, I see how the music and the movie works together. And then just like you were saying, I never uh, actually write a, a screenplay all the way out until I was much older. 
But um, but at the time, I would have just a notepad and I would have ideas and scenes. I would be driving around and I would be listening to music. And in my head, I would have like the scene and the music and I would write the details of the scene without even really knowing what the story would be. But just like that moment, like just a mo- like you yeah. said, I thought of montage exactly when you said that. It was like, that's what my mind was always doing. And I would even be in a moment, like hanging out with friends or something crazy would happen, like a fight would break out at a party or something. And in my mind, I was writing it as it was happening. Like I was always like editing my life experience in a strange That's sort of so way. so funny. Yeah, yeah, I exactly the same experience. And then, yeah, so I think it's very similar. It's very funny that, you know, now, of course, I'm married to Kim and, and you know, she's your best friend because maybe, you know, that's, maybe, oh, yeah. there's some, maybe she somehow. Uh, maybe, maybe she associated. sought out somebody. Yeah, that was exactly. Like <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm a surrogate for you. You're not her. <laughs> she didn't marry her dad. She didn't marry her mom, but she married her best friend. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I still do that. Um, it's funny you say driving. I say it was my favorite thing before I met my husband, Mike, you know, when the when the weather was warm with the windows down, listening to different mix compilations I had made on CDs or whatever um, in my Volkswagen Beetle, you know, like that was my Saturday day plan. Like, and I would sort of craft together different story ideas. And like you said, it wasn't like a fully formed outlined uh, story. It was more like moments that um, I would put in some story at some point. So it's kind of a, a similar thing that, to what you were describing. Um, and it actually brought me a lot of, I was like therapy in a way, you know, yeah. it, it just yep. made my mind be able to sort of work through things. I don't even know what, but like, you know, I've had some very morbid stories come to mind, you know, where I'm like, why am I thinking of this? <laughs> Speaking of how some of those dark fantasies have changed. I always liked Tarantino, but I used to like, like I've aged with him in a way. Like I liked his early movies because they were like violent and everybody acted cool. And now like I watched like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I I literally could have watched a version of that movie that was twice as long where people are just talking (laughs) to each other in rooms. (laughs) And I would be totally fine with that. Like they could just chill out. Like we don't need to have anything at the end. That's my speed at this point. <laughs> For sure. I loved that movie, by the way, the yeah. um, Once Upon a yeah. Time in Hollywood. I thought it was so good. I have not been a fan of a lot of his movies, you know, since Pulp Fiction. But since then, I haven't really loved a lot of his stuff. I haven't seen it all. You know, it's just too much for me. Like, you know, uh, not necessarily the gore, but just like the dehumanizing of people you know um and I just you know just didn't wasn't my speed but I thought once a time once upon a time in Hollywood was awesome I thought it was so well done of course Leo Leo is you know one of my faves so oh the performance Um, was great yeah yeah. I really big big fan of that also yeah it was very very interesting it it totally sucked you in and you just wanted to know what was going to happen even though not much was happening a lot of the time so big digression there we probably have to have another episode about just all this stuff <laughs> but um, but I'm very curious to get back on pump up the volume specifically because once again I okay. have an anecdote too. So pump up the volume. Let's see. I need to give credit where credit is due. Kristen, another childhood guess, friend of yeah. Kim and I. It was almost like she was from New York, and we were you know grew up in tiny 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 town in southern Vermont where everything was probably like a year delayed. Like every trend, every fad, everything was a year delayed. There were no stores anywhere near us. There's no malls like within the state. You know none of that. So Kristen was always on the cutting edge. She was very glamorous in my eyes. And so everything she did, I kind of was like blown away by and just 
instantly loved, even if I didn't understand it a lot of the time. So Poem of the Volume is an example of that. And it was right when it was released on video. And I saw it with her. And so we were very obsessed with Christian Slater. Had you seen Heather's yet? I can't remember. I saw Heather's. So I saw all the Christian Slater movies. So it was like, <laughs> we were on a you know Christian Slater binge. I remember seeing it and just thinking like he was just so charismatic uh, and you know I was totally enthralled with the storyline the nerdy kid you know who comes alive in the shadows that sort of thing um, the love story I definitely liked the gist of the movie what really got to me though was the pixie song wave of mutilation oh yes when yep. he's walking slowly and you can see, and it's sort of like this uh, wide shot, this very mundane place that is filled with like industrial nastiness. It's not beautiful, you know, he's sort of stuck in this prison, you know? Um, that shot really affected me, stayed with me. I can see it right now as I'm talking about it. And that song added so much to it. It kind of moves you, you know, and you don't really know why. So that was like the first thing that I was like, oh, what's this? And I was young enough to like not really know about analyzing movies. I went right into that, you know, like what does that mean? And like, it, why is this moving? And, you know, why did they put that song there? And then I would say the next song that I remember really, really jumping out at me and sticking with me was the Concrete Blonde cover of Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows. Right. Now, yeah. I Which also everybody. got me to Leonard Cohen, actually. Yes. Yep. So, mm -hmm. opposite for me, I knew Leonard Cohen because my mother would play his record on repeat. The war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. So I knew everybody knows, and it was sort of, you know, sad. His voice is very melancholy and, you know, deep and all that. So this version was like uplifting. You know, I just felt very inspired by it.
led me to get into Country Blonde, you know, was a big one from there. It led me to think about all of the soundtracks that I would make, you know, and it just continued that sort of uh, motivation to sort of find different songs and sort of compile them. And I was a big mixtape person, you know. Now I make playlists for people, but in the old days, I used to make actual CDs and burn them or cassettes yeah. even in the old days mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, give them to people. And especially when I got to CDs and I had a little bit of, you know, uh, audio editing, I would like do like mixes where like the songs would blend one into the other. And like you were saying, like, I would take that so seriously. Like I wanted the songs to like be like a movie, right? Like it had like a beginning, a middle, like, the, you know, the tempo picks up, something happens, the tempo drops off, there's a perfect closing track. So it was like a whole story in the mix. And I think most people would just be like, oh, I like these three songs <laughs> on the mix you made for me, right? But for me, the whole thing was like a project. But specifically with Pump Up the Volume, was the soundtrack, obviously, but also the fantasy of it. I literally went to Radio Shack and I bought one of those kits to set up like a small radio transmitter. I wanted to have my own pirate radio station. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and what's so funny is, and this is where it kind of dovetails in with my other interests, but then simultaneously WFMU, which is like a freeform radio station that's been around since the 60s, but it's fairly Dickinson's um, college radio station, but they became like huge in the 60s and 70s. They kind of like broke punk rock and stuff in the 80s. I was just starting to listen to that and they were like playing The Fall and, uh, and Sonic Youth. But what happened was I was just starting to listen to, to that radio station. And then I was fantasizing about, you know, being like a pirate radio uh, person. So then I like started like listening to those radio stations and getting into those bands, like in a way so that I could be like the hip guy who knew about music. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. in a way, it's like an origin story for my musical interest. <laughs> so it was like very formative. So with all that being said, did you have a recommendation? Did you bring a recommendation? Yeah. So I saw that you have not watched Footloose all the way through. So <laughs> yes, I, I, have not. I think you should do that. <laughs> um, the reason is, is because, you know, people think of it as like, oh, hilarious, you know, 80s movie, Kevin Bacon, lots of dancing, da, da, da. But it actually touches on not being able to express yourself as a young person, um, you know, religion and impacting, you know, people's upbringing. Also, people, uh, how they deal with grief and how it manifests into something you know, and it, they, it gets away from them. You know, it's an 80s movie. We've learned a lot since then. So there are <laughs> problems with it, but it's actually like the performances, the actors, John Lithgow is in it, you know, I forget yep. the name of the mom, but she's awesome, you know, and then everybody's just really good uh, in it. And then there's phenomenal dancing by Kevin Bacon. It's just, it, it's just, it makes you want to get up and do it too. So <laughs> So I, that's one of my recommendations. Have you seen um, Lost in Translation? I didn't see. Yes, yes, I have. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, so that would have been anyone who hasn't seen that. I would suggest uh, watching that. The song at the end that makes my heart explode. Yes. Jesus and Jesus and Mary Jane. to that movie that I researched and researched and researched what he whispers to her at the end. Oh yeah. 
And I found online some sound engineers who had had the same obsession and they like isolated the uh, the sound bite to figure out what he whispers in her ear at the end. It was like one of the greatest things I've ever discovered. So I'm not gonna tell you though. Um, I, I, I honestly, <laughs> I think someone had already, uh, I, I knew that that's been tracked down and I honestly don't wanna know. Yeah, and, a lot and, of people don't wanna yeah. know. And similarly, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you seen In the Mood for Love? by uh, Wang Kar Wai, who's a big influence on um, Coppola. Uh, I would highly recommend, this is on my decade list, like favorite movies of the decade, uh, In the Mood for Love. Um, it's a Hong Kong movie by Wang Kar Wai, maybe his most well-known. But anyway, I would highly recommend it. And basically, uh, you know, not to give too much away, but like Coppola is winking at that movie. And uh, I would love to see your reaction to the end of, uh, of that film, uh, whenever you get a chance to see that. Also a beautiful soundtrack, by the way. I know you didn't want to, uh, or you couldn't get through Romeo and Juliet, but oh, yeah. Baz Luhrmann is like famous for turning people off with his choices as <laughs> right. far as like editing and music and all of that. Like some of the music is really overpowering in that movie, but right. generally I loved the soundtrack. I of course was in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. I wanted to be Claire Dane, so that probably played into it, but I, when I, even when I watch it now, I love that movie because of the performances, the cinematography, the art direction. So if you want to revisit it for those reasons, like it's just a really stunning piece of work. Right. If you can get past some of the, you know, cutting, uh, like the way he cuts it up is like very jarring. And actually, I want to use that as a segue to jump into my recommendation for you because that my recommendation to you was Scott Pilgrim. And the reason, in a way... I think it has some of this energy that you liked in some of those youth comedies when you were young, younger, some of these recommendations. And uh, secondly, you know, that it's a movie that I just watched it again last night in preparation for this. And it's a movie that is so stylized that you could be like, isn't this as annoying as Baz Luhrmann? But for example, it doesn't bother me. And I would like to get into that with you, depending on your reaction. But the mm -hmm. third thing I noticed when I watched it again yesterday was that maybe this is a very male choice for you though so I'm curious to know what you thought of that recommendation yeah so I really wanted to like it and in the end I would say that I did not um what I there were things about it that I liked and I laughed throughout it yes but I found myself completely and utterly lost like and I and I couldn't figure out why or what was going on like what is happening what is going on what is the point and finally, my brother, Robbie, who's visiting, was like, oh, this is like video game stuff. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I have literally never played video. I mean, I played right. Mario Brothers when I was, you know, 10. But yeah. other than that, never been into video games. And um, then Mike came down. He had seen it several times, loves it, and thinks it's hilarious and was totally entertained by it. And I realized, oh, it's a combination of comic book, yes. video game. Right action movie, all of the things he loved. I am not really into those. I love Michael Sarah. I think he's hilarious. Yes. Although I think he's forever George Michael, you know. Right. From... He, he doesn't work anymore, but I live, and this is actually in retrospect, I almost was going to change my, uh, you know, but you had, you committed to this, which was fine. 
but I almost was going to go. And have you ever seen Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist with Michael Cera? Okay, that's funny because Robbie kept saying that's yes. a movie you guys should re recommend. Yes, I think that would have been more, <laughs> that would have been the correct pick. And I didn't and think I about it until I was watching. Did. Yeah, yeah I have seen it, but it's like, I don't actually remember. I mean, yeah. to be honest, it was probably in my 20s, right? And I was yeah. probably high as a kite. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. So right. I don't. No, I know that I saw it. I can't remember. It obviously didn't blow me away, but I'm sure I enjoyed it. But I do remember the soundtrack and loving the soundtrack. Yeah. So, And I think that's why you would probably like it now is that at the time, I feel like people were, I don't know, was coming after Superbad or something. And they thought one, it was yeah. going to be like more like gross out humor. And I think you would really appreciate it now. First of all, the, 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 the soundtrack's great, like you said. But also just, I think it's probably more your speed at this age where it's really like, something you appreciate when you're older and it's just these two people like literally on a date just walking around the city talking about things they love getting to know each other you know and like kind of you, you can feel like ebbs and flows like kind of like oh i'm into this person i don't know if i'm into this person and you kind of feel yeah that. and it's just that moment in time and it's it's like really really good maybe right. not for and kids maybe not for teens actually maybe that's why yeah. it didn't do very well right so and that actually makes me think you know about the movie you had me watch was basically like i feel like maybe i'm too old like Robbie yes. said you're you're gen x you're gen yes. x you're not going to get these references right. and i'm like yeah i don't get a lot of them and, and that's my that was my experience rewatching it actually that's why i kind of i i, I almost remember I, I was trying to get you to watch the bling ring at one point um, oh yeah it, I, I have seen that and yeah. i actually watched the reality show about the girl yes, that that right. was based on and it, the whole thing fascinates me for sure that subject yeah. but yeah I, and i mean for that also i think it's really interesting the way it explores um celebrity but also just mm -hmm. Coppola's style, which I love. I love her style. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, and, and the great music, amazing music. But going back to uh, Scott Pilgrim, when I was rewatching it last night, I was thinking about some of the things you're describing where I think what I like about it is that it's not an energy that I relate to, but it's mm -hmm. like, it feels like like an energy of a generation, right? And I, I like, yeah. it's like almost like watching it from a distance, right? But I really enjoy it. But also the thing I find very interesting is it made me think about Edgar Wright's style versus like Baz Luhrmann. And what I uh -huh. think is kind of amazing in watching the movie again is, like you said, the one thing that I was surprised to see when I watched it again was how much I laughed. Like there are so many really, really funny jokes in that movie and that he's pulling off these jokes where he's doing these very complicated people have to hit their marks at exactly the right time. These segues, like these kind of like yes. special effects and all these. It's very technical what he's doing. And the punchlines are, cool. punch are like in the edit. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking this guy is designing every frame of this movie and yes. the jokes are landing. And I'm like, this is an incredible amount of skill that you have to have. to pull Yeah, this off. that's what Mike said. He said, uh, this must have been boarded out, like storyboarded out, like oh frame by frame, the entire yes. thing. And it's like, yeah, you have to. It was definitely very well put together. I thought the jokes and the lines were funny. I think Michael Sarah's delivery um, and others. It's great. And it's too bad he doesn't have it's too bad it doesn't have more range, I would say, because yeah. I was thinking about that again, is how much like in the very limited amount of movies he, when he was in that minute that he was famous, how many great performance he gave. But like he's, but, but like you said, like it's, he's so much in a very limited range, I think. Right? Yeah. 
but uh, but but so likable when he's on screen, like really so likable. And um, you know, I I thought the uh, his girlfriend, what's her name, Knives. Yes. The high school. She was so good. Like I thought yes. she was a really good. Uh, I mean, it's just a side character, but she. I thought she did such a good job of yeah. playing like an obsessed high school kid. How about all the How about all the famous people in there? Oh, I know that was the other thing. Yes, like yeah. there kept being like I saw some names at the beginning. I'm like, wow, these are these are all great people, and then they just kept coming. Brie Larson was so yeah. good yeah, in that role. Great. Great. That's yeah. a lot like what's her name in uh, Last in Translation, Anna Faris. Right. So yeah, I thought all the the acting was really good. I thought like the editing was super good, and um, I thought the live performances of the bands were really entertaining and funny. And and the way I thought it was like their performances were really good. Like they seemed like the drummer, the girl drummer, she was awesome. That was a, that's another thing that I like about the movie also is just that the energy of the music, it feels real. Mm -hmm. And the movie has a punk rock energy. Like it's exciting when they're playing. Yeah. I also love that song, Ramona. Unfortunately, Netflix oh, yeah. for some reason would not let me Will not let the the final. So I had to go and play the song off of the the playlist itself, the soundtrack, because yeah. Beck's final version, the long version of Ramona, which I love, and I love Beck. By the I way. think that's such a good yeah. song, and I have a niece named Ramona, so I can't wait to play that for her. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I love that song. I love the cover of the Sade, Sade song yes. um, yeah. that's in the middle there. There was a few that I liked. I would say that on listening to the soundtrack separately, those were probably the only two songs I would take and put them yeah. on my own mix. Yeah. But as a movie, like it, I thought like in watching them actually play the songs as a band, I thought right. it was entertaining and good. And so I would that recommend was... this to like people who like, you know, fast paced. Right. I would probably recommend this to people in their mid to early thirties who would get the references yeah. and actually think they're funny and like be like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I know that reference, you know, like I always like like a nod to references from my childhood. I mean, this is just like basically designed to be like, hey, we're referencing this, we're referencing that. Like it reminds right. me of when Miley Cyrus, like, uh, you know, um, came out with the, that song about um, in the USA, I forget the title now. But, uh, party, uh, party in the USA. Party in the USA. It was around the same time, like you know, 2010 or something. It was mm -hmm. around then. But um, she references the Jay Z song is on, and so it's like this whole 
narrative that was going on at the time where it's like, we're famous, but we're going to reference someone else who's famous, right. you know, and it's like a nod. That's what this movie is kind of. It's like, this is a movie about something, but the whole time we're doing little cameos of yeah. your childhood, you know? Yeah. And like the, sign, so, like the Seinfeld riff, like just like two seconds. Of yeah, like, you know? exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> and so, yeah, there was like moments where I was like, oh, but then like for the most part, it just wasn't something I would, I enjoyed watching all the way through, um, yeah. for sure. And to go back to Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet is probably the only Baz Luhrmann movie that I would watch on repeat. The other ones, you know, I would watch once and then I would be good, like Moulin Rouge and, um, and Great Gatsby. Like, he definitely has a very jarring, uh, you know, psychotic type of way <laughs> of putting a movie together. And it's really like, intense you know yeah. and so i don't always agree with his choices or enjoy them but for the most part i think his films are beautiful and also like the story is epic you know and so it takes you on this ride so you have to be in the mood so and, same with this film yeah. you know you kind of have to be in the mood for it another, another thing that's an interesting dichotomy between the two of them by the way is that for me like uh boz lerman's movies he has in his style like baked into his style is that crazy i don't even know what to call it honestly it's like a kaleidoscope uh, effect at the beginning of his films where he puts like 500 things in your face in a 10 second period and i'm just like oh my god yes I can't, I, i'm in overload but then you know he tones it down and then it kind of slows down and you can kind of breathe in the characters which i want to like spend time with people and feel the scenes and stuff so uh he has that effect on me as opposed to edgar wright by the way who i love right as opposed to but that being said even Baby Driver, which is probably his most successful movie, not financially, I mean, even as a film, uh, that, uh, you know, the first 20 minutes of that movie is incredible. Like, it's amazing. Like, it's one of the, I could just watch those first 20 minutes over and over and over again. It's perfect. But by the time I get to like the last act, I'm like, all right, <laughs> well, okay, I'm pretty good. I, I think I know how this is going to turn out. I think I'm good. You know, we're good with the last. Yeah. So, and I don't feel like he hasn't still figured that out or maybe it's just my, my taste it's there, there's so much i mean he's like i said utterly impeccable like what he does is incredible i don't i can't even i mean no one else can hold a candle to him i think uh even like some of these um other directors that are really technical like mm -hmm. i don't can't imagine anyone else being able to pull off a complex action sequence that ends on a punchline and the punchline is perfect right it's incredibly right. difficult to do right so no one right. else can do it other than him but it gets exhausting after a while when uh, yeah it's, it feels like when every minute like at any individual minute of the movie is perfect over the whole um, length of the film. It's like, I don't know what to pay attention to anymore. <laughs> you know, it's too right. much. Right? Oh, and, and one big, I, I want to call this out specifically, by the way, the first time I saw the movie and again, the second time, the one huge problem I have with the film, I actually really like the trajectory he goes on. I like this as a metaphor for being, you know, messy in your twenties and just all the, you know, and basically this whole be being a metaphor for having to compromise with people and deal with their past and everything within this framework of this, you know, uh, you know, uh, boss battle that he in the end has to defeat himself because he's the real enemy, you know, all that stuff. Right. So that all works. I think it really works, actually. Right. So that's all fine. My huge still to this day, it's stuck with me the first time I saw the movie 10 years ago. And again, now which is the way Knives just lets him off the hook at the end. I'm like, OK, Victor, I was definitely going to say that. That's yes. That was, it's like uh, ver uh, sexism, you know? Yes. It's like, oh, so he gets to just cheat on the, these girls yep. and be dishonest. And all he has to do is, you know, 
say whoops I did it you know and then everything is good and then the way that like they just traded places oh no you're supposed to be with her oh no you're supposed to be with her it's like what it's like some boys fantasy exactly that's where that's where I was saying that maybe this is too male as well for that because even me even me as a man I find that so problematic because yeah um like and here's the thing with Mary Elizabeth Winstead she like reaps what she sows right she's in yeah she has all this baggage that that he doesn't well and yeah and they weren't really together so it wasn't necessarily cheating but he definitely cheated on knives yeah so the, the whole fact that not only that he cheated on knives you know like that he cheats on knives and then he basically says look I'm the one who did the bad thing blah 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 that's all fine. Her like giving a pat on the back at the end of the movie. I'm like, what? Like when, in what yeah. world? <laughs> in yeah, what right. world is that okay? <laughs> yeah, go be with somebody else. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. It's like, it's, it kind of is like a nod to the way like a lot of 80s movies handled relationships where like the girl was supposed to just put up with whatever and the boy is like this thing that you have to support and whatever. I, I don't know. It was very strange. And I didn't really like understand the motivation. I did not think that, you know, she should do that as a character, you know. Um, and he also wasn't really remorseful until like they forced him to be. It wasn't like he found, he got there on his own, you know what I mean? Like until the very end, like even when he's walking, like he gets off the stage to go find um, the girl he wants, like he, he, comes across knives and is still like rude to her and blows her off or whatever so uh yeah it just wasn't likable yeah and it really hurts the film in my opinion because the whole situation earlier on like once again it's kind of like a reveling in the messiness of that time in your life the whole thing where he's like you know he's like oh i gotta get on stage or he like has that little the the little thing in his brain going like no yeah right right and like him like kind of figuring these things out or just being like oh do i confront this situation now or do i run to the bathroom he's like i'm gonna go run to the bathroom right so that that all is funny right but you know the 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 punchline of that that is so problematic is that so like what is the payoff like does he end up with nobody like like does he learn something but then everybody goes their separate ways i'm okay with that right Mm -hmm. but like this whole like you go get her champ i'm like what (laughs) yeah right what, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah it was it was very um bizarre way to handle the end i i did not expect it from that movie i thought they were gonna have you know and it's lazy. everybody go their separate and, and ways yeah the film that film is not lazy and i feel like it's very lazy it's kind of like yeah. oh we don't know what to do with her okay she'll just say go ahead i'm like what yeah right <laughs> you spent so no, much totally. time like you you probably spent a month designing each one of those action sequences and this is how we end that character it was not i didn't like it at all it's a big problem yeah but minus that, I do like it. But I do think, you know, for anybody who's listening to this and wants a recommendation, I do think it probably skews younger and more mm-hmm. male, definitely more male. So yeah. I think that, you know, like you probably are more forgiving of some of these things as a man, because <laughs> we all probably have right. similar uh, limitations than, uh, as a, than as a woman, right? Which, but there may not be as much there for it. And I think you're proving that out. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but uh, speaking of uh, Edgar Wright, by the way, this is something that I'm very interested in. He is making a... Um, like a paranoid horror movie, um, very similar to like Repulsion, Roman Polanski's. That's the rumor. That that's his explanation of it. That it's like an homage to Repulsion, and uh, it's called Last Night in Soho, and it's uh, like a low budget horror movie that he's making. And it was supposed to come out last year, but now it's going to come out. At, it's going to play at Cannes actually. So uh, hmm. I am very interested to see that because I assume he's going to have to like rein himself in a lot. And I'm very yeah. curious to see what he does. I'd like to see him challenge himself in some way rather than going bigger, going smaller, basically. So. Yeah. All right. 
I really enjoyed this conversation. I don't know if you wanted to wrap anything else. I have like a list of other soundtracks and things that I would recommend, but I think this is going to be enough material. Yeah. uh... I actually have one that I totally forgot that I know you've seen is Boogie Nights. So, um, and Magnolia, I mean, I love all of the soundtracks that he does and all his his films. So I'm kind of biased, but um, the Boogie Nights, specifically the scene where... um, they're on a couch yep. and I forget the name of the actor, but he's in his underwear with a big mustache in his house and he's got a gun and he's Alpha sort of, Molina, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's the um, kid that's just throwing firecrackers yeah. and it's like, they keep going off and sister Christian, he's, yes. he's yeah, sister Christian is like, it's like one of the best, you know, uses of music in a film, like ever. I feel like they should study that in film yeah. school. Maybe they do. But um, yeah. it's just so, it, you feel everything that everybody's feeling, you know? It's like, especially the guys on the couch. It's like, when is he gonna shoot us? You know? like, <laughs> right. It's just crazy. So that's one of my faves with the whole soundtrack is just so good. And obviously I love the film um, as a whole, the performances, the script, everything about it. I pretty much love that movie. But um, I would say that's also a good soundtrack on its own. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, and my recommendation list actually was, as I was putting them together, I realized that a lot of these soundtracks correlate to individual filmmakers that are really good at putting yeah. uh, mu- music together. So for example, Coppola in general, she does great soundtracks. Spike Jones, he does great soundtracks. Um, Linklater, he does great soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Danny Boyle, even when his movies are not great, I don't like a lot of Danny Boyle's movies, but his soundtracks are great. Yeah. Vim Benders, if you like Vim Benders, he makes great soundtracks. Only, I mean, he makes two of my absolute favorite movies of all times he's made. And then a lot of bad movies, but he always has a, a great uh, soundtracks. Uh, Wes yeah. Anderson and uh, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, like Drive and all, but all his movies have great soundtracks. Uh, Tarantino, PTA, of course, we're talking about PTA. Uh, yeah. The Coen Brothers, uh, David Lynch. Mm-hmm. David Lynch has great soundtracks. The Coen Brothers yeah. have great soundtracks, but it's all you know, uh, you know, movie music. It's all score. Yeah, right, right. But right. it's still excellent. I mean, I I, I have bought multiple uh, Coen Brother movies and just listened to the scores because I I love the scores so. Um, you know, and that's a great for driving as well. So, yeah, I'll, I agree with all of that. Um, you know, what brought to mind uh, somebody who curates a wonderful soundtrack is Josh Schwartz, who is a producer of oh. the OC. Okay. I'm sure oh, he's done yes. tons and tons of things since yeah. then, but that's what I know him for. Um, and, uh, you know, he basically put, I mean, I shouldn't say this because I just have for cutie on the map right. because Seth Cohen, the character, loved Death Cab Cutie, but. Uh, you know, he brought them into mainstream, I should say. Um, But um, he definitely spent a ton of time working on the soundtrack of that show. And I would say that it's a great soundtrack uh, to listen to on its own. All the songs are good. And then um, obviously the show is excellent, but. (laughs) (laughs) Another show, by the way, that I haven't seen, but I remember at that time, uh, generationally, that like you know all the time people be like all of a sudden an act that was kind of new about or was following a little bit suddenly broke out and i'm like why are these guys famous now all of a sudden and everybody's like they were on the oc i was like oh (laughs) the oc is like breaking bands like every week yeah true you know what's funny i just realized that it all of a sudden my brain went to felicity you've seen that series or no yeah Mm -hmm. okay so felicity there's an episode where she's sitting in her counselor's office like when she's deciding i believe to be a med student or uh be an artist and 
her, she's dealing with her parents breaking up and stuff. And Amy Mann's Give Up is yeah. playing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it stayed that I was like so moved by the scene, even though it wasn't that crazy of a scene because of that song. And so then I, back then, you know, it, this was like, I don't know, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, like the internet, you couldn't just look something up and find the information easily. You had to go to the computer lab because I was in college, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So I was like on the hunt to try and find this artist. And like, I didn't know who it was, you know, so I don't even remember how, but it took me weeks to figure out who the artist of that song was on, um, who, who the artist was singing and it was Amy Mann. And then I was looking for that song and I couldn't find it. And then it led me to the Magnolia soundtrack. Right. Um, eventually. So then I ended up watching Magnolia and that was the first PT movie I saw and I fell right. in love with it. And so actually it's it's a good way to sort of bookend the conversation, you know, pump up the volume, change my life in that way. And then, you know, Felicity later on, a few years later, um, brought me to PT Anderson, yeah. which ultimately made me change my major from studying uh, playwriting and theater uh, to go to a film school in Chicago. And, you know, because uh, I became super interested in films after watching Magnolia and, um, you know, a what bunch of other movies. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. I, I never really realized that. So that was the conversation. Although I do have problems with Scott Pilgrim, revisiting it here on the 10th anniversary, I really did uh, get a new appreciation for the incredible skill that's required to pull something off like that. And also Miss Michael Sarah, someone who probably has a limited range but is so appealing on screen. Like really, I really enjoyed most of those films he made back in his heyday. And maybe he'll come back again and make some more popular films. I know he's still working here and there. He was in the most recent version, uh, most recent season of the Twin Peaks, The Return. And a very funny in a very small role, but uh, in general, not really around anymore, and, and that's unfortunate. Like I mentioned, uh, Sydney probably didn't get as much of it out of this as I'd hoped, but I, did th- I do think that she really appreciated the skill required, and so maybe this is a film she may never have watched and maybe she did still get something out of it. I really like uh, having these conversations with people about these passions that they may have or share with me and I feel like you get to speak with someone in a different context. You see them in a different way. You ask them questions that you may have never gotten around to if not for almost a tangential way of reintroducing yourself. And I think that's really what I really like the most about these conversations. So I know this conversation was maybe more personal than you would expect from a recommendation podcast, but I do think that in the end, maybe what I'm trying to get to in this project is 
to get to know people in a different way. So I do hope you appreciated that part of it, and maybe you feel some of that yourself. For our next podcast, we will probably be doing a deep dive on Prince. And it's such a big topic. He's one of my favorite artists. And, you know, we're just past the 50-year anniversary of his passing away, unfortunately. But it's such a big topic. There may very well be multiple episodes. As a matter of fact, there might be a primer episode where I try to kind of set the table with all of his long and storied career before we get into the individual episodes. And it's a very fun format, by the way. So I'm looking forward to putting it together for you. We also have uh, the Mayor of Easttown recap episode still dropping, uh, usually on Monday nights, so keep looking for them there if you are enjoying those. I hope you do listen. And if you're listening to those, I hope you keep listening to these episodes also. This is all an experiment, but I've really enjoyed it, and I hope we keep it going. Talk to you soon.